Amen. Well, it's been fun. Uh, I've enjoyed these last couple of days, and it's been a blessing to get to meet some new people and uh, get to uh, build some new connections, new relationships, and things like that. And uh, I have so enjoyed uh, getting to be here and getting to preach on something. I have actually never preached a prophecy conference before. Uh, and so when past your pastor called me and asked me to do that, I said, uh, are you sure? And, uh, you know, uh, but uh, I, I'm, I was looking forward to it. I had talked through it at our church, and uh, it's been a blessing to be able to take some of those thoughts and things, put them together, and be able to uh, put this conference uh, together. And it's, uh, I've enjoyed this. It's been a blessing to me, and I hope you've learned something. Even if you say, you know what, Kyle, I disagree with 97% of what you said. I hope that other 3% will help you to be, to be a better evangelist in your life. And uh, what your preacher just said is so true. Listen, it is not our job to save people. You know that? It's not your job to save people. Don't put that pressure on yourself. Paul said it this way. My job is to plant, to water, but then God gives the increase. And so I hope that from these meetings that God will burden your heart to do just that, to sow seeds, to water those seeds, and then watch God give the increase. That's what we want to see God do. That's what we want to, to see him do in the days ahead. Uh, just last night, I heard a lady that, that came through, as pa your pastor said, uh, she was coming through and she said, you know, I'm just going to make that decision. I'm going to try and invite somebody to church every week. One person. That's a great goal to have. That'd be a great goal for every one of us. Sometimes we look at the world that we live in and think, man, it's impossible to win the world to Christ. And you know what? Whenever we have that type of mentality, the reality is it really is because there's a lot of people on earth. Uh, we mentioned the other night there's something close to 8.7, 8.8 billion people on the earth. That's a lot of people for one person to, to, uh, to reach, you know, and uh, that's going to take a lot of work. But here's, here's uh, you've, you've probably heard this before, but if, if I would go and find one person this year, just one, and I would win them to Christ, and then I would disciple them. This is, this is key. I would pour into them for the whole year. One year, 365 days, pour into them and teach them what God has taught me about how to go out and evangelize somebody else. If I did that for 365 days with one person, and then after that 365 days was over, we said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're each going to go out and get one more. And they went and got one, and I went and got one. We said, okay, we're going to do this again for another 365 days. And they sowed into that person. I sowed into this person. And, and we did that for another year. And, and now there's four of us. And then we said, you know what, okay, here's what we're going to do next year. We're going to do it again. And the four of us went out, and, and we did that again. And, and every year, we just, just one person. That's all you had to do, one person. Did you know in 33 years you could win the world to Christ? <clears throat> you know what the problem is? We don't take the time to reach one. And I hope through this meeting, God will encourage your heart and challenge you to go find somebody to give them the gospel. Don't just leave them there. Help them to grow so they can go and do the same thing. That's what discipleship is. That's what the Great Commission is. And I hope that we'll, we'll be challenged to do that. Well, last night we preached the word of God. It was a lot of fun. And uh, I almost passed out, and uh, you know, but it was uh, it was good, and so uh, we had a, had a great night, 
and uh, it's a blessing. I'm thankful that you came back again tonight. You're probably thinking, what's he going to do tonight? And so tonight uh, is, a, is a little bit different message, but I'm looking forward to diving into it. Before we do, I just want to mention just a couple quick things. We've already already did this commercial on Sunday, but I just want to mention it again. If you didn't pick up the, the God's Prophetic Blueprint, I know your pastor picked up some of those. Uh, this book is such a simple book. Um, it's, I mean, it really is. I think it's 168 pages, something like that. Um, in fact, in the back of this book, he actually has a question and answer section that you can go through where there's some, some key questions that people ask, and he gives answers to them. And uh, it's very, very interesting. So one of the questions here, why will the church be raptured prior to the 70th week of Daniel? He gives a a reason there. Question, what are the differences between the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment? I know your pastor just preached about that. And he gives an answer there. Just just real quick question. Uh, Another question, how can the rapture be imminent when the gospel has not yet been preached to all tongues? He gives an answer there. Um, There's just all all these, uh, will, will Christians know who the Antichrist is prior to the rapture? gives an answer. Just some quick things, and uh, that's that, those are excellent tools. He gives verses, Bible verses along with it, and uh, that's just in addition to the rest of this book. And uh, I said on Sunday, I may not agree with 100% of everything that's in here. You, you maybe read it and say, you know what, Kyle said something different there. Uh, he's probably smarter than I am anyway, but um, you know, you, you can look at it and you can get a lot of good things out of it, and I'm telling you, this is a great foundation when it comes to uh, your Christian life and learning about eschatology, the study of in times. And then Bob Shelton, before he passed away, he wrote one more book, and it's called Prophecy in Context. And I love this book. I, I got it here recently, and uh, it's an excellent book that you can read. But he takes some passages of Scripture, and we'll be talking about a few of them tonight, that are often used to preach things that that's not the context of what it's about. And so uh, this, this book is awesome. It goes through some, some of the, the passages throughout the Word of God that are often uh, misunderstood, and he puts them in context and teaches what they actually say, what they actually mean, and uh, I appreciate that. And so it would be great for you to go pick those things up, and uh, it could be a help to you if you want to learn more. As we mentioned at the start of this week, um, when it comes to preaching on Bible prophecy, you can't fit it all in in five nights and five services. It's impossible. There's no way. Uh, I mean, I guess we could, but you would have had to stay here all night last night, and then we would have had to start this morning, stayed all day today, and we still wouldn't have got through it. Let's just be honest, okay? Uh, you, you could sit here, and somebody said, you know, hey, let's, let's just preach on this every week for the next, you know, next year. We could do that, and we still probably wouldn't scratch the surface of how deep we could go into some of these things. So I hope what this conference has done has just whet your appetite a little bit more to dive into the Word of God just that much deeper to determine whether those things were so, that the preacher said, and, and, and to have a firm foundation that you can stand upon and you can say, you know what, I believe that Jesus is coming back, and because of that, I'm going to do something because of it. And uh, I hope God's challenged your heart this week, and uh, we're not done. we got one more service, and I'm hoping that the Lord will speak to your heart tonight. As we get started, let's pray and ask for the Lord's help, and then we're going to dive into the Word of God this evening. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to be able to open your word for a few moments here. I ask, Lord, that as we look at this last last message, God, and we look at some of these verses, Lord, that you give clarity and uh, just make things abundantly clear in our minds and our hearts. And God, you know that I just want to preach what your word says. And Lord, there's a lot of things that we're going to talk about tonight that honestly, Lord, there's, there's speculation surrounding a lot of it. I pray, God, that we would just take those things that are true. Help us, God, to hold on to those. And, uh, Lord, the things that, that may be, Lord, are speculation, I pray, Lord, we take them with a grain of salt. But, God, we would hold on to your word and that which is true. Help us, Lord, through this time to be burdened to do something with what we've heard. And that something's taking the gospel to this world. And, uh, God, I pray each person would, would be burdened to do that. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. 
Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to be in Revelation chapter number 19. That's where we're going to start tonight, Revelation chapter number 19. Well, last night, we finished out our service with the return of Christ at the battle of Armageddon. And uh, we looked as Christ came down from the sky and and as the word proceedeth out of his mouth, and as the word proceedeth out of his mouth, we saw as, as the word coming out, how it slain all of those that had risen to battle, and, and uh, an incredible number that actually had come. In fact, over in Revelation, I believe it's Revelation 14, uh, there's a part where it talks about how at this battle, that for, uh, for uh, I think it's like 158 miles or something like that, that the, the blood of those that die is going to run uh, up to the bridle of horses going to be an unbelievable, unbelievable battle. And God's going to win. I mean, he, he, he wins the victory. There's no question about it. Jesus Christ is the one that is victorious, and it's a powerful, powerful thing. But that's not the end. I think sometimes, in fact, in, in my lifetime, uh, the number of messages that I have heard beyond Revelation chapter number 19 uh, has been few, very few. In fact, uh, if I probably could count them on one hand, how many messages I've heard that have gone into Revelation chapter number 20 and Revelation chapter number 21 and, and even going over to Revelation 22. I mean, it's the reality is, is a lot of people don't go further than chapter number 19. And, and so tonight, I'll be honest with you, I am no expert on this subject. But I'm going to do my best to communicate to you what, what I've studied from the Word of God. And what I believe the Scriptures have to tell us about this time following Christ's second coming. And I'll tell you this, it's, it's an incredible time. I'm looking forward to diving into it together this evening. You know, over in Daniel chapter number 12, we mentioned it the other night in verse number 12. The Bible tells us, Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. And what was he talking about there? 1,335 days uh, of the second half of that tribulation period. That's an interesting thing because as we mentioned, according to the Jewish calendar, there's 1,260 days. So there's this 75-day extension. And we talked yesterday uh, or on Sunday afternoon about how that first 30 days are going to be a time where the Antichrist pours out his wrath. And how he, 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 I mean, in a way that he never has before. It's going to be a, a terrible time. And, and, and then following that, we have that last 45-day period. And during that 45-day period, that's when the Lord is going to come back in the clouds. And when the battle of Armageddon is going to take place. And the great victory is going to be won. But that's not it. No, there's more that's going to happen during that time. See, after that battle takes place, in fact, it's, it's kind of the right, right after it, it happens, the first thing that takes place is over in Revelation 19, verse number 20. The Bible says, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet, there are miracles before him, with which he deceived them that received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire that burneth with brimstone. Here the Bible tells us that the beast, also known as the Antichrist and the false prophet, that they're thrown into the lake of fire for all of, all of eternity. This is, this is a place of, uh, of torment forever and ever. A place where the enemies of Christ are going to go to a very real lake of fire. That's going to take place right afterwards. And then sometime soon thereafter... During the, those last 45 days, we find that the next event will take place. In, in Revelation chapter number 20, verses 1 through 3. 
The Bible says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should de deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed for a little season. We find that Satan, that great accuser of the brethren, the one that has caused so much trouble and so much heartache in our world that he's taken and he's bound and he's cast into that a thousand year period. It's, it's, it's a wonderful time. I mean, I, I wish it happened today. It would be great if he could just be taken off the scene. But we know that he has to wait for this point in time where Satan will be taken and put into there for a thousand years that he's removed off of the scene. And then we have God dealing with those that survived the tribulation period. This is, this is one of the most fascinating parts. You understand that there will be people that survive through to the end of the tribulation. And there's different people that will survive. Matthew, in fact, addresses this group of people in his gospel. In Matthew chapter number 24 and verse number 36, he says, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. He's talking about the second coming of Christ. But he says this is very important. But as the days of Noah were, or Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Now this is an important part in understanding Bible prophecy. In fact, if you want to, you can flip over to uh, uh, Matthew 24. We're going to be there for a little bit. This is, this is very important. Jesus says that when he comes back at the second coming, it will be like the days of Noah. So if you could go back with me to those days whenever you were just a child. Now I remember whenever I was just a kid, we had flannel graph boards. And you probably remember flannel graph boards. And I can remember my teacher with her blue flannel graph board and taking that man that last week was Jesus and now he is Noah and putting him up there on that flannel graph board. And I can remember her talking about the great flood that was going to take place. And, and you remember she, she took, she'd take Noah and she, you know, the door didn't open up on the, on the ship and so what, on, the, on the ark. So what she'd do, she'd take him in and she'd kind of slide him in behind the, the ark, you know. And, and, and Noah and his family were, were slid in there and, and they were protected from the flood that came. Now, if you were to go back with me and think about that, who was it that was taking off the earth in Noah's story? Was it the righteous or the unrighteous? The unrighteous. The unrighteous were removed from off of the earth. Who was it that was left behind? Well, Noah and his family, the righteous. Hebrews 11, verse number 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of the things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. The, the, the world was condemned. They, those that were, uh, that were taken away were condemned, but the ones that were left were saved. So with that background in mind, now we continue in the passage in Matthew. It's the second coming. The Bible talks about, in verses 40 and 42 of Matthew 24, about the two. The two, one left and one taken. He says this, then shall two be in the field. One shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken, the other left. Watch, therefore, you know not what hour your Lord doth come. And listen, I, I've heard the preachers preach it. I probably even preached it myself. 
and said, listen, this is an example of the rapture. Two people are going to be standing there. They're going to be out there grinding at the mill. Two ladies, and all of a sudden, one's going to be taken to heaven, and the other one's going to be left behind. Two people are going to be working out in the field and talking with one another, and all of a sudden, the Lord comes back, and boom, one's taken, the other one's left behind. You don't want to get left behind. Well, in this instance, according to Noah, you do want to get left behind, okay? What is he talking about? He's talking about the second coming. The second coming. This is important. While the messages that use this this passage is a great is a great illustration of the coming rapture. It's not not the context of the passage. The one who is taken is the one who is removed from earth at the end of the tribulation period, while the one that's left behind is the one that endures until the end. That's what Matthew was referring to in Matthew twenty four verse number thirteen when he says, "But he that shall endure until the end shall be saved." It's not about working to keep your salvation. It's about the saved living until the end of the tribulation. Matthew then goes and he gives an illustration of ten virgins. This is important for us to understand. So who is it that's that's left at the end of the tribulation? Well, the, the ten virgins. These are ten Jewish survivors who have reached the end of the tribulation period. And in Matthew chapter number 25, Jesus says that five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. Five were prepared for when the bridegroom came, and five were not. Matthew 25, verses 8 through 12, the Bible says, And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. While they went out to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward also came also the, the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. See, there's going to be many Jews that turn to Christ during the tribulation period and survive until the end. We talked about that yesterday, the multitudes that are going to be saved. And there are going to be multitudes that survive until the end of the tribulation period. But there will also be many Jews that do not turn to Christ and survive until the end of the tribulation period. And after Christ returns, they will recognize the error of their ways and will seek to turn back to him. But as God's word says in verse number 12, 12 verily, verily, he'll say to them, I know you not. It will be too late. What a sad thought that there will be multitudes of God's chosen people that still won't turn to him until... It's too late. And they will condemn themselves to a lake of fire. And then we can come to the end of Matthew 25. And we find another illustration that we give of the separation of the sheep and the goats. And this one's so important. In Matthew 25, verses 31 through 33, he says this, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with, them, with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall he be gathered all nations, and he shall shepherd, separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Now the Bible tells us that these are different. this is a different group of people uh, that, that, that he's dealing with, not the Jews. No, this is gathered of all nations. This is the division of the Gentiles that are left. As we mentioned, there will be an overwhelming number of Gentiles that come to Christ during that tribulation period. But there will be an overwhelming number of Gentiles that do not. 
And the Bible tells us that during that 45-day period, at the end of the tribulation period, that God will separate the sheep from the goats. The ones who have followed Christ from the ones that rejected Him. He says this group of people He will separate and He will bring the ones to Himself that have accepted Him and the ones that have not He will cast them away. In verse number 34 it says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. It's a wonderful invite to them to follow him into that next step. But to the goats, they don't get that same invite. Here we have these examples here in Matthew chapter number 25 where he's giving, where he's very clearly pointing out that, listen, at the, at just like it was in the days of Noah, there are going to be many that are taken away. You don't want to be them. But there are going to be many that are left. Those are the ones that are saved. Then he goes into another illustration of who these people are. This is interesting. He, he makes clear some things. And honestly, it's a, it's a passage that we, we often hear preached. And it's a wonderful message to preach. But when we preach it in context, it means so much. In verse number 35 of Matthew 25, he says this, For I was an hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Here he is. He's, right after, it's kind of strange. He talks about the sheep and the goats. And then right afterwards, he goes into this. This is familiar, but What? Naked, and ye clothed me, he says. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we, we thee and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done unto the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. As the gospel is preached throughout the whole world by the Jewish evangelists and by the converts and those that are persecuted, they will be spreading the gospel through the whole world during that tribulation period. And what Matthew is making clear here is there will be those Gentiles who hear and receive their message and then provide safety to them so they can continue their preaching. That's the context of the passage. However, the goats that have not followed Christ will have a different response to these Jewish evangelists. In verse number 41 it says, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, ye clothed me not. Sick and in prison, ye visited me not. Then shall, ye also, uh, then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them and say, Verily I say unto you, and as much as he did it not one of uh, did it not to one of the least of these, he did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal uh, into life eternal. You see, these people were given the same opportunity to accept Christ as Savior. They were given the same gospel. They were preached the same message by these evangelists, by these saved preachers. They were given the same opportunity to, to, to receive the word of God, but they chose instead to reject the gospel. And now at the end of time, 
There's no more second chances. And the unbelieving Gentiles, who the Bible calls goats, are cast into hell for the next 1,000 years. With this final separation that we find, it's now time for Christ to set up his kingdom on earth for his 1,000-year reign. And it would seem, at the conclusion of those final 45 days, the millennial kingdom would finally be set up and Christ will be on the throne. Finally, Christ's prayers will be answered from Matthew 6.10 where he prayed, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so now we come to the millennial kingdom. The tribulation period has finally ended. And now we come to this time. For the next 1,000 years, Christ will reign as the king of all the earth. All the saved who have died before the rapture and those saved and, and perished during the tribulation will reign alongside Christ. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter number 20, verse number 4. It says here, And I saw the thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither hath received his mark on their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Uh, jump down to verse number 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. And they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Over in Revelation chapter number 5, verse number 10, the Bible says, And has made us, he says, unto our gods, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. According to the word of God, we believers will reign with Christ. You and I, if you've accepted Christ as, as your Savior, you will be raptured up. You and I, if it, the Lord delays his his, 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 his return at the, the rapture. You and I will, will die. Our bodies will go into the ground, but we'll be with the Lord. And then we'll come back with him on the, the, the white horses. And then, and then during that thousand year reign, we will reign with Christ. What will we be doing? Well, 1 Corinthians 6, 2 says, Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, ye are, are, uh, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters. You see, it's hard to, to fully grasp what all of our responsibilities will look like. But according to the scriptures, we will be in our glorified bodies, serving Christ by helping judge those that remain in the world. That's one group of people that will be there during the millennial kingdom. And then we have all those that are saved and endure until the end and see the second coming of Christ that remain on the earth. This is interesting. This includes the saved Jews and Gentiles that we just talked about. And from what we can gather from the scriptures, it would seem that they will continue in much the same way that we do today. They will continue to work. Isaiah 65 tells us in verses 21 and 22, And they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build in another inhabit. They shall not plant in another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They will continue to procreate and populate the earth. 
Isaiah 65, verse number 23 tells us, They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth for trouble, for they are the seed of the blessed of of the Lord and their offspring with them. In fact, there will still be opportunity to sin on the earth during this time. Those that are born will still have a sin nature and still have to turn to Christ for salvation the same way that we do today, by grace through faith. The aging of the body, while different, will still take place. Isaiah 65, verse number 20. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die an hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. It's going to be different. It'll probably be like kind of what life was like before the flood. People will live longer lives. He says a person that's a hundred years old will kind of be like an infant. It'll be different. But there's a lot of similarities. But there will be some key differences. Everyone at the start of the millennial reign will be saved. This is the third time that the earth has begun this way. The first was with Adam and Eve. The second was with Noah and his family. And now the third time. There will be no war, only peace. Isaiah chapter number 2, verses 2 through 4 says, And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways. He will walk in his path, and we will walk in his path, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he shall judge among the nations, and he shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat with their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. It's going to be an incredible time. The people that are on earth are literally going to say, hey, what are you doing today? I don't know, what are you doing today? Hey, why don't we just go over and let's go listen to Jesus a little bit. Let's go see what he has to say. Let's go learn some things from him. And they're going to go and sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from the greatest preacher that will ever live. It's going to be incredible for them. What an opportunity. Now, they had to get, go through a lot to get there, and I don't recommend anybody go through it. But for the ones that are, wow, sit at the feet of Jesus. The Bible tells us that their, their, their warring instruments, their, their swords will be beat into plowshares. Their spears will be beaten to, to pruning hooks. They're going to be used no longer for war. They're going to be used to cultivate the land, to farm. Why? Because war will not take place. Micah 4, verse number 3, reiterates this reality. It says, And he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. They'll take those tools, those, those weapons, and they'll turn them into tools for benefit and profitability. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter number 11, verse number 6, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a child shall lead them. 
The cow and the bear shall feed. The young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp. The wean child shall put his hand in a cockatrice's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all the holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To, to it shall the Gentiles seek and his rest shall be glorious. I love that what it says there at the end. Says uh, throughout that verse, he says, listen, the animals are going to be at peace with each other. The knowledge of the earth, uh, the Lord is going to fill the earth. And then it says, listen, his rest shall be glorious. And it will be. There will be no devil or demons on the earth. Satan is bound in the bottomless pit. His demons are cast into hell. This will limit the opportunity of sin drastically and dramatically during this time. And the most important difference, Christ will reign on the earth. Revelation 20, verse number 6, tells us there, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall reign, uh, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And as Christ reigns on the earth, as we saw in Isaiah, people will come into his presence to learn from him. What a beautiful thing. For a thousand years, peace will reign. Sin will be restrained because Christ is on the throne. Amazing. Now, I don't know why. The Bible doesn't tell us why. Scholars have speculated, but honestly, it's a pointless venture because there's no way to know certainly. But at the end of the thousand years, Satan will be loosed for a little time, a little season, the Bible says. According to Revelation 20, verse number 3, it says that they'll cast him into that bottomless pit, shut him up, and set a seal upon him. He should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed for a little season. I don't know why this has to happen. I wish that it didn't. But when he does, it's going to be a terrible time. Revelation chapter number 6. 20, verse number 7 says, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. He shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, and the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Ezekiel 38 and 39, it dives further into this, this final conflict that takes place. Gog is an individual, while Magog is a, is a geographical or possibly political entity that it represents. And, and as Satan partners with this second Antichrist type, Gog, to wage war in a final stance against God, he assembles from the earth an army so innumerable that the Bible says it's as the sand of the sea. This is stunning. It's, 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 it's so hard to imagine. We today, we, we, I mean, we, we sit here and we think to ourselves, how could this happen? I mean, if Christ was on the earth, how could people do this? I don't know. <laughs> but the Bible says that it's going to happen. And, and honestly, the reasons why is, is because they're going to be born with a sin nature.
this following will rise up against God one final time. The final rebellion of Satan. And it will be met with swift destruction. The Bible says in verse number 9 of Revelation 20, And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Destruction immediately. Satan didn't learn it the first time. The second time, God doesn't give them any more chances. Verse number 10, it says, The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. Zechariah gives us a graphic detail about this final battle. In Zechariah chapter number 14, verse number 12, it says, And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet. Their eyes shall consume away in their holes. And their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. Complete destruction. The death toll will be so incredibly high that Ezekiel 39.12 says, And for seven months shall the house of Israel be burying them, that they may cleanse the land. It will take seven months to bury the bodies that are left after this final battle. And then finally, that devil, that devil that deceived, that devil that lied, that devil that's caused so much trouble for so many years, that devil will finally find his eternal place in torment in a lake of fire where that beast and that false prophet are. Never again will he ever will he or, or sin ever tempt another person. Never again will he or sin have any power to destroy. Never again will he or sin exist in the word of God. Finally, he is finished. The final event at the end of the millennial kingdom will be the great white throne judgment. Revelation chapter number 20, verses 11 through 15. Look there. And I saw a great white throne. And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. By the way, we don't have to wonder what books will be opened. You see, God's faithful and he's just. And he will judge them, as we'll see, based upon their works. And he will have a common standard that he will judge them by. And listen, it would be unfair for him to judge them by something that they, they didn't have. Friend, we can, you can mark it down. The books that will be opened are the word of God. The word of God that stands the test of time that endures until the end. The word of God that Satan has tried to destroy. The word of God that, that, that this world would try to condemn. The word of God that so many nations have, have just tried to stop. And yet the word of God that continues to go forth and accomplish where it's sent. The book will be open. And another book is open which is the word of life. The book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things that were written in the books according to their works. 
And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Friend, those at the great white throne judgment are those who never accepted Christ as their Savior. They are your teachers. They are your family members. They are your brothers, your sisters, your co-workers. They are your friends. They are the ones that you see every day. And you pass by them and you say, hey, how are you doing? How is your day going? Oh, good. You small talk about all kinds of things, but you never talk to them about Jesus. Those are the ones that are going to be there at that great white throne judgment. They will stand before God alone and will be judged by their works because that's what they thought would get them into heaven. And they will fall short. Based upon their works that they did to obtain eternal life, they will be condemned. Matthew 7, we already talked about it this week. Verse 22 says, Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And he says, And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you, though. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. See, every person at the great white throne judgment will have arrived already condemned. There will be no more second chances. There will be no more third chances. There will be no more tenth chances. Their chances are up. They're already condemned. Friend, if you're thinking, you know what, maybe next time. I'll wait until next Sunday. And maybe then, maybe then I'll make a decision to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. Friend, you have no guarantee that you're going to have that time. You've been sitting here through the services and you've been listening service after church service and you've been thinking, you know, that sounds nice and everything, but I'm good. I don't think I really need this. Friend, that'll be you. It doesn't matter. You could go to church for 70 years. 80 years. We have a lady that, that sometimes she, she comes to our church. She's in an assisted living now. She's going to be 97 years old. She's been in church for most of her life. It's absolutely incredible. Eula. Sweet lady. You know what? If Eula went to church every day of her life and she died and went into eternity without Jesus Christ, she would be condemned to an eternity in a lake of fire. Friend, it doesn't matter how many doors of the church you walk through. It doesn't matter how many good works that you do. It doesn't matter how great you think you are if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, friend. That'll be you on this day. Get it settled tonight. We've seen the final 45 days, the millennial kingdom, and now let's look at the rest of eternity. As we turn the page into Revelation chapter number 21, we find that we finally reach the beginning of eternity. Verse number one says this in, in Revelation 21, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from, from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
Friend, the old earth and the, the old heaven, they are no more. Second Peter chapter number 3, verse 12 says, he, verse 12 tells us, looking for and hastening to the coming of the de- coming day of the Lord, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth will be gone. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth, the Bible tells us. The greatest part of this new heaven and this new earth is verse number 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. You know who that is? That's Jesus Christ. God will be, will be with us for all of eternity. That's what the Bible says. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. It is finally at this moment that we find the sweet verse there in Revelation chapter number 21, verse number 4, that so often gets quoted for something far sooner. But it's not until this point that it's that it says this. Verse number four says, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. Hey, listen, there should be an amen there because I'm sure some of you are saying, man, I'd sure like to be out of pain tonight. (laughs) For the former things are passed away. All pain and sorrow will forever be wiped away. Every tear, every heartache caused by sin will be over. It will finally be everlasting peace in the presence of God. Friend, let's finish up tonight. Let's answer a few final questions. What will heaven be like? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, verse number 9 says, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. What he says, he says, you can't even imagine how incredible it's going to be. It is beyond your wildest dreams. But just to give you a little taste, let me describe it for you tonight. (laughs) There will be 12 gates, each one with the name of the 12 tribes of Israel written on it. Revelation 21, verses 12 and 13. There will be 12 foundations, each with the name of the 12 apostles. Revelation 21, verse number 14. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter number 2, verses 9 through 20. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints in the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ being himself being the chief cornerstone. According to the word of God, the city is a cube in its shape. The city is massive. In Revelation 21, verses 15 through 16, we find that John saw it, that it was 12,000 furlongs. Now, the word furlong was the Greek unit of measure. A single furlong was estimated to be somewhere between 582 feet and 600 feet. That was kind of the rough rough measurement. So this city is said to be 12,000 furlongs each direction. That translates to the length, the width, and the height of heaven being somewhere around 1,350 miles to 1,500 miles each direction, give or take a little bit. That's the city. There's a wall that runs around the border of the city, according to Revelation 21, verse 17. The height of the wall is said to be 144 cubits, or roughly 216 feet tall. And it was a solid wall of jasper. Wow. 
The city John saw was made of pure gold, he says. But not yellow gold like we think of in Revelation 21, 18. No, the gold was so perfectly pure that it was like clear glass. The walls of the city are described in, in Revelation 21, verses 19, and through the first part of 20, verse number 21. He says the jasper walls contain precious stones within it. And he goes through and names all these precious stones. The 12 gates of the city, this is amazing, are a single giant pearl each. Some of you ladies probably like pearls. Maybe, husband, you've, you've bought your wife pearls before. I learned this. I tried to buy my wife pearls. The bigger that they get, the more expensive they are. I just I learned that, okay? They're, they're very pricey. <laughs> the Bible says that the gate is going to be a single pearl. That's big, okay? That's expensive. I mean, it's unbelievable. That's, that's what people are going to pass through. And there's going to be 12 gates, so there's going to be 12 pearls like that. This is unbelievable. Then he saw the street of pure gold that was transparent like glass in, in, in Revelation 21, 21. Now listen, it's possible there are multiple streets of pure gold, but John only mentions the one that he saw. According to Revelation 21, verses 21 through 27, the Godhead will be with us in heaven, and they will light all of heaven for all of eternity. There will be no night, and there will be no sin. There will be a crystal river that flows out of the throne of God, Revelation 22, verse number 1. And on either side of that river, it will be lined with the tree of life, Revelation 22, verse number 2. Now all those who have followed Christ and remain here for the rest of eternity have access to the tree of life. Do you remember when Adam and Eve were there in the garden? There were two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of life. Do you remember what God told them? Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know what they had access to? The tree of life. You know what they chose? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know why God had to shut him out of the garden? Because he said, I don't want you to have to stay like that forever. But one day when we get to heaven, we're going to walk over to that tree of life. And I don't know what the fruit's going to be like. In fact, the Bible says there's 12 different fruits that are on it. I, it's going to be quite the tree. I, I, maybe it's just like every month you just get to go over and pick one. I, I don't know. And, and one month you want the one that's orange, and the next month you want the one that's purple, and, and the next month you want the blue one. I, I don't know how it's going to work, but you're going to go over, and we're going to be able to take of that fruit, and oh, I have a feeling it's going to be real sweet. In Revelation 22, verse 14, it says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they might have right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates of that city. You know, this is so cool. One day in heaven, I'm going to have a home there. And, and it's not just going to be, listen, we live in a double wide right now. 
And right now we're doing some remodeling on it. And every dollar I put into it, I think, this house is not worth what I'm putting into it right now. I mean, that's what's going through my mind. This is, this is worthless. What am I doing? This is crazy. <laughs> but one day, I'm going to have a mansion. <laughs> Say, Kyle, how do you know that? Because in John chapter number 14, Jesus said, let your, not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. Friend, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you've got a lot to look forward to. Eternity is going to be incredible. I can't wait for God to wipe away all tears until there's no more sorrow, no more sin, no more pain. But friend, one of the greatest dangers of a prophecy conference is we can become so consumed with looking ahead that we forget to look where we are right now. I hope you're looking forward to heaven. But if God hasn't taken you there yet, and He hasn't raptured His church yet, it's because he's still got a purpose for you here. See, God tells us in 2 Peter 3, verse number 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to, uh, to us uh, word, not willing that any should perish, he says, but that all should come to repentance. It's interesting. He said he isn't willing that any should perish. But here's what I wonder tonight as we close out this conference. God's not willing that any should perish, but I wonder if you and I are. Are you willing to let someone perish because it's, it's inconvenient to tell them about the Lord? Are you willing to let someone perish because talking to them is uncomfortable? Are you willing to let them perish because what are the kids at school going to think about me if I talk to them and they know that I'm a Christian? Are you willing to let that family member perish because what if it strains our relationship? Are you going to let somebody perish? Are you willing to let them perish because you just don't take the return of Christ seriously? I hope in light of what we've seen over these last three days that you'll ask God to give you the mind of Christ. That you wouldn't be willing that any should perish, but that you would strive to see all come to repentance. Because that should be the motivation that comes out of a prophecy conference. Friend, we've got a lot to look forward to. But God's not done with us here. So let's get busy telling others about him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that you've given us to open your word, to study it these last few days. And God, even tonight, as we, we think into the future, even beyond the tribulation, as we've looked at a lot of things, Lord, I pray, God, that we wouldn't get so consumed by all the statistics and 
God, get all, so consumed with, with all the things that are, are still kind of up in the air, Lord, that, that we would miss that you still left us here for a purpose. And God, I pray that we would wake up to that reality if we kept busy telling people about you. Lay somebody on a heart tonight that we need to tell about Jesus. And God, may we not get it out of our minds. May we be consumed with it. And may we see great fruit because of what you do in the hearts tonight. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, Pastor Patsy.